This is The Feed, York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. I'm Ann Romer. This edition of The Feed is brought to you by Peak Performance. If you are a startup, a small business, or even a mid-sized enterprise needing professional HR support, your solution awaits with Peak Performance HR. Not every organization requires a full-time HR specialist, and Peak Performance HR offers fractional, flexible, and cost-effective outsourced HR services tailored to your unique needs. Please visit peakperformancehr.ca. Coming up on the feed, the epidemic of intimate partner violence, diabetes care on wheels, and expanded autism services. But first, tis the season to holiday shop, but with all of the financial pressures that Canadians are facing these days, how deep will your gift-giving pockets actually be this year? That's a question the Retail Council of Canada asked in its recent RCC Leger holiday shopping survey. Here to explain and enlighten is Michelle Wasilishan of the Retail Council of Canada. Michelle, welcome to the show. Really glad to have you with us. Thank you. So will it be holiday cheer or holiday fear this season, Michelle? Well, we do an annual holiday shopping survey, and I think we have reason to be optimistic. And so what our survey is showing is that people do now understand that things are going to be more expensive, but that they intend to spend money. And so we think that there's reason to be optimistic. Um, We think that people... Uh, want to celebrate with their family and friends, um, similar to last year as well, but that they'll be looking for ways in which to make sure that their budgets go even further than they have in the past. So let's talk budget. Apparently, according to your survey, the amount of money will be on average about $898 spent this year, and that's up from 782 last year. So that's over $100 that people are willing to part with for their holiday shopping. That's right. So part of that does recognize that things are going to be more expensive this year. People have really had, you know, since the beginning of the year when prices have been going up, people are understanding that things are going to cost more. And so part of that is factored in. Even though people want to spend more or perhaps intend to spend more, they're still going to be looking for things like sales and deals, free shipping, all of those kinds of things to ensure that they're really getting bang for their buck. And so it's not just willy-nilly spending, it's mindful very similar to what we saw last year, mindful spending to ensure that you're getting the most on your on your dollar. So let's delve into that a little more. Uh, 88% of people polled are going to be proactively holiday shopping and using tactics like you mentioned, hunting for sales. They're going to be preparing in advance and they're going to try to stick to a precise budget. Is that new this year? Well, we saw a lot of that starting to happen last year, but definitely it's more pronounced this year, given that, um, you know, everything is costing more. So some of the proactive measures that people have said, some of the ones that you just mentioned, that they will use to manage their costs are to seek those sales and deals. Um, The number of people who say that they will look for sales and deals has definitely increased since last year. So we know that there's a little bit more sensitivity there. They will definitely plan earlier. They'll set a budget. Um, So, you know, some of those things people do anyway. But we are seeing that people are are telling us in our survey that they're going to be more set in doing them this year. So as the Retail Council of Canada, you represent retailers. What do you suggest that retailers can do to make this a more pleasurable endeavor, financially speaking? Well, there's a couple of different things that we expect to see. And so typically we see a lot of shopping taking place in the month of November, Um, I think what we're going to see this year is that we're really going to have a smoother curve than what we've seen in years past. 
And so we will have a lot of people shopping in November and in December. Typically, we see a big spike. Usually Black Friday and Cyber Monday are the big shopping days. We expect this year that it's going to be a little bit smoother. And again, that's because people may not be able to spend all of their money at once. Maybe they need to spend it over a greater period of time, that two-month shopping season. And so I think that retailers, what you'll see is that they will be maybe, you know, doing their their sales throughout the full season rather than just on that Black Friday or that Cyber Monday. Uh, Free shipping is important, quick shipping, extended return policies, all of the things that they typically do. But I think that they're going to have to do them for maybe a longer period of time. That said, every retailer does things a little bit differently based on their customer base. Another thing that we're seeing this year is that uh, in-person shopping is really high. People really enjoy being in stores. We saw that last year, too. We weren't able to go into stores for a couple of years, and people really enjoy going into stores. They enjoy touching and feeling the products, feeling that festive feeling, getting gifting ideas. And so retailers really looking forward to having um, you know, those those um, busy periods of in-store shopping as opposed to having to rely on online shopping. What seems to be successful in terms of what retailers can do to enhance the in-store experience? What seems to work well and draws in shoppers and that makes them really happy? <laughs> well, I don't know if there's any one thing that works well. Shoppers have been really clear in saying that, you know, they do need to spend to stretch their budget. And so they are looking for discounts and sales. So, Um, We'll see how retailers respond to that. Some retailers have um, different types of promotions and sales and loyalty programs and those types of things. So it really is up to the retailer to figure out what they're going to do to entice the customer to come to their store because there's a lot of competition out there. And, um, you know, going back to the online portion for a minute, we know that that consumers still really use the online Um, shopping tool to shop around before they actually go to the store. And so they test out different stores to see what they're selling, what the price points are. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of research that we expect consumers will be doing this season. Again, back to that theme to ensure that their budgets are going just as far as they can. 40% intend to buy on Black Friday. That's up from 28% last year. 37% of respondents will buy on Cyber Monday really all week, and that's up from 21% uh, in 2022. We haven't touched on Boxing Day, and for some reason, we sort of forget about Boxing Day at this time of the year. We remember it the day after Christmas, of course, but what are the intentions of the people you surveyed when it comes to Boxing Day and shopping for bargains? Boxing Day is always important. It's just a different type of product that we usually see consumers buy on Boxing Day. We see the larger types of products, mattresses, appliances, a lot of um, self-gifting, so clothing for yourself, those kinds of things. Whereas prior to the Christmas season or the holiday season on Black Friday and Cyber Monday, we see that consumers purchase more gifts at that point in time for others. And so you're purchasing maybe electronics or other types of things. So it really is a shift in the type of product along with who you're buying for which we typically see for the Black Friday, Cyber Monday versus the Boxing Day. And what does your survey tell you about what Canadians are purchasing, number one, when it comes to gifts for others? What what area of shopping are they looking at? The top spending category this year, similar to last year, is expected to be clothing. Number two is food and alcohol, followed by toys and games. So that hasn't shifted that much. We still see that books and music are are um, important, restaurants, those kinds of things. 
gift cards. We really saw an increase in gift cards throughout the pandemic. They remain uh, important. I think they've dropped a little bit this year in our survey. Again, kind of evidence of coming out of the pandemic and people actually buying gifts as opposed to needing to buy a gift card. But some people are still going to gift cards because they want the person that they're buying for to be able to choose how to use whatever it is that they might need. So those are all things that we kind of see are important year after year, and they're certainly um, high on the list this year, too. And here's something neat that I saw in your survey. 37% of people want to receive gift cards. So it's, we're not talking now about buying the gift cards. We're finding out what people want to get as gifts, receive as gifts. Yes, people do like receiving gift cards. And again, it, it allows them to choose how to spend based on what their needs are. And so, you know, maybe this year uh, people are a little bit more sensitive to that, given that we're all having to stretch our own budgets and choose to spend our money in different ways. And so, you know, we're a little bit more sensitive to the personal needs of those that we're buying for, as opposed to just guessing. Local shopping, last but not least, 82% of Canadians feel it's important to intend to shop local. That's definitely a trend that we see year after year. People like to support their local businesses, whether that be a big retailer or a small independent retailer. People tend to like to shop near to where they live. They like to support the people that work in those stores. They like to support the business owners of those stores. And so we definitely see that local shopping uh, remains high this year, just as, as we saw in the, in the past couple of years. Michelle Wasilishan, Retail Council of Canada, thank you for your time and happy holidays. Thank you. Happy holidays to you as well. With the holidays approaching, the New Market Pantry is calling for donations of food and toys. Jim Lang with the details. Well, as everyone knows, things are tough all over and the town of Newmarket and the Salvation Army and the Newmarket Food Pantry are teaming together to do something with a food and toy drive to help people in need this holiday season. And unfortunately, there's a lot of them to talk more about it. Thrilled to be joined by the longtime mayor of the town of Newmarket, John Taylor. John, how are you? I'm excellent. How are you doing? Well, good. I, I have to say I'm better than most, and we've seen some of the stories and seen the numbers from um, the municipality, the region, the province. Is this a tough holiday season for people in Newmarket and York Region, John? There's no two ways about it, Jim. The, it's, it's getting um, tougher each year um, right now, and hopefully that, that can turn around in the future. But, you know, given COVID, given uh, hyperinflation, uh, given so many of the challenges um, that, that we've been facing, there's more people having a difficult time. And, and I'm hearing more from them directly contacting my office, wanting to come and sit down with me and and many of them are in very, very desperate, uh, very desperate situations, and we're trying to do all we can do to be uh, be of help and to try to support everybody in our community. And so, this initiative is so important. The town of Newmark is asking residents to donate this holiday season its annual food and toy drive in the town office. You just have to go to the town offices at 395 Mulock Drive between 8:30 a.m. and 4:30 p.m. You can't miss the big boxes to drop stuff in, and everything's going to be so needed and so welcome with open arms to members of the community. It's very much needed, and the uh, the, the food drive, of course, is is incredibly important. Uh, and the food pantry does a great job of trying to get to as many people as we can throughout the holiday season, of course, for Christmas itself. The unwrapped toys for all ages, super important. I, you know, I had the, the privilege to tour the Salvation Army's depot where families literally come in and shop the shelves for Christmas. And it's a very moving experience, and, it's, and it shows the power and the importance of what this is. You know, I, I just really want people to understand that when they take the time to, buy, to get one gift or two gifts and drop it off here, 
and it's going into the hands of children that wouldn't have anything otherwise. And, and it's also a good maybe moment, John, to point out the importance of the Salvation Army in our community. They've been around for well over a century and they continue to do invaluable work, especially in times like this, especially when families can take their kids in and get a toy, no questions asked. Yeah, so the Salvation Army does so much work in our communities that the people are even not, not fully aware of in, in many ways. But this, this program is, a, is a certainly a, a particularly important one at this time of the year. When the holidays are occurring, uh, you know, I just, I don't know how anybody, you know, can go through Christmas and think that there could be kids out there getting nothing. And thanks to the Salvation Army, that's not occurring. And so, you know, make sure we get the word out also to families in need that this is here. That this, this, and these are brand new, fantastic gifts and toys for all ages. And for the people of Newmarket who can, can afford to and can support it, please do come into the Newmarket Town offices and drop off a toy. We hope to have our best year ever because it's our most needed year ever. You have until December 11th to go to the offices at 395 Mulock Drive between 8.30 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. You can't miss it when you walk into the main doors. They have the big boxes there for the non-perishable food items, uh, new unwrapped toys, and all the donations going towards the New Market Food Pantry and the Salvation Army. And, John, we've seen numbers from food banks in New Market and the GTHA around the province. They are even long-time people running for food uh, markets and and different things like that. They're overwhelmed at the amount of requests that people want for food banks. They, they've never seen anything like it, John. No, it's, it's, you know, there was reports out today, I think, uh, this morning saying that one in, you know, t- one in 10 in Toronto are accessing a food bank at some point throughout the year. Look, everybody here who's listening, like myself, goes into the grocery store and you see the price of food from compared to just uh, two or three years ago. Um, and that means that for some families who have no room after paying for a, a, you know housing, which is so expensive, they have to make food with less. And and that's when the food bank and the food pantry here in Newmarket become critical, unfortunately. Now, if you can't make it to the offices in the hours prescribed, you can donate online. You can go to Newmarket Food Pantry, and it's newmarketfoodpantry.ca slash donate or Salvation Army, uh, northridgesa.com slash give, northridgesa for Salvation Army, of course, dot com slash give. And uh, whether it is a small monetary donation, it's one can of tuna, it's one simple unwrapped toy it all makes a difference john yeah it really does and that's really all i ask is for all of us who can do something just take one moment this holiday season and you know whether it's something more you know through your your own community your church community wherever it is but uh and or through the food pantry here or um the salvation army please just find find a moment and, and a few dollars to support uh those in our community who are struggling so much and uh, and there's more 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 people now than ever and they need us and they need the support now than ever and you know a community is only as strong uh, as its uh, most vulnerable resident and so uh, in Newmarket we pride ourselves on, on that every single person matters as much as the next one so let's step up and do everything we can to support those who need our help. And I was just going to say too, John, I've lived in Newmarket for 20 years and the one thing our family is quite proud of is the way people do step up and make a difference and do try to go out of their way, even without receiving any recognition and not asking for any recognition, to try to help each other. And at times like this, we do need to help each other. We do, and Newmarket is amazing. Uh, It's a town with a giant heart 
And there's zero doubt in my mind that the, the need will be met, but it'll only be met if we each take that moment. Sometimes it's just about reminding yourself to take the moment, right? Yeah. We all have right intentions. We just have to take the moment and remember to go do it. And so I know we'll, we'll meet the challenge and we'll continue to support people and uh, make sure that everybody has, um, you know, food on their table this holiday season and toys, uh, toys for the kids. Simple little things all add up. We can all be part of it now until December the 11th at the New Market Municipal Offices. You can't miss it. 395 Mulock Drive on the north side of Mulock between 8.30 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. from Monday to Friday. John Taylor, the longtime mayor of the town of New Market, trying to make a difference. So thank you for joining us in the feed, and thank you, and all the best to you and the family in the holidays. Great. Thank you very much, Jim, and thank you to every person who's listening that's going to take action. We appreciate it. After the break, the facts about violence against women. The Feed News Magazine will be right back. Do you have a story idea for The Feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of The Feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to the feed. Now, here is a sit-up-and-take-notice statistic, one that is shocking and sad. Intimate partner abuse has been declared an epidemic in over 30 regions in Ontario, including here in York Region. Stephanie Peachy counsels women who have suffered abuse at the hands of their intimate partners. Stephanie knows of what she speaks, having been a victim of intimate partner abuse herself. She is a registered social worker, an accredited family mediator, and the founder of Peachy Counseling and Family Support. She joins us now on the feed. Stephanie, November is Women Abuse Prevention Month here in Canada. It used to be Abuse Awareness Month. It's a courageous step forward in calling it prevention now. Why are we able to say that, prevention? I think now prevention is a really important phrase that we're using because it's less about now fixing something that's already happened and instead taking a step back and saying, what can we do to make sure that this is an experience that less and less people are having moving forward? Prevention is really the key for so many things right now, but for this particularly, it's critical that we start to look at children and teenagers to prevent the cycle from abuse of continuing. So how do we prevent the cycle of abuse from continuing? That's a tall order. It really is. I think it's going to take a lot of time and effort from a lot of different professionals, but also from families. Children learn so much at the core of their family and learning what relationships are like. So I think it's very important first that we're having this conversation. This has been a topic for so many people recently, and I think it's really being brought to the attention of everybody that it's not just a women's issue or something that's fixed in therapy. It starts with working with children at home and showing them what healthy relationships are and what standards of respect need to be met in a relationship. Why do people abuse their spouses? And in this case, we're talking about women abuse. So we're talking about the partners of women abusing them, whether it's physical, emotional, even financial. Why does this happen? It's such a great but big question. Um, Yes, statistically, we know male-to-female violence and abuse still is the most prevalent. But as you say, this can happen in any relationship. Anybody can experience this. And certainly um, women of all, you know, or people of all genders and sexualities do experience this. 
there's, I think, a few different contributing factors. Is One is the power and control piece. I think that for a lot of people, there is a need to feel very much in power and have control in a relationship. And that stems from a variety of reasons. Whether there's like trauma in somebody's life, having experienced abuse in their home growing up, or feeling that, you know, gender roles need to be adhered to and unfortunately see women in a lesser capacity and feeling like they are the property of a partner. So many things contribute to it, but it is different in many situations. You know, it's interesting, and I know this from experience, a lot of people are afraid to seek help. They feel ashamed about the situation that they're in, even though it is not their fault. How does someone safely seek help and support if they are in an intimate partner abusive relationship? It is very tough, and I appreciate you acknowledging that there is so much shame and embarrassment attached to it. I hear that time and time again from clients that I work with. It takes a long time for most people to get out of these relationships because it takes a long time to recognize exactly what's happening and understanding that it's not your fault and not something that you can manage on your own. Reaching out to somebody to begin with, whether it be a family member, a friend, um, a trusted professional, whether it be a counselor or a shelter or your doctor, to just start by saying, this is happening to me and I don't know what to do, but I need help. That's a very good first step to take and start to learn about the services that are available to you. It can be so dangerous, though. Very dangerous. Yes. Statistically speaking, women are at the highest risk of abuse or even homicide when they leave a relationship. Stephanie, are there early signs that someone might spot and detect? I think that's such a wonderful thing to ask about because so many people still think, well, if somebody's hitting you, why would you stay? Just get out of the relationship. But it never starts with hitting. It never starts with the screaming or the name calling or the feeling unsafe. It starts very slowly. For instance, um, in a relationship that I was in, it started with isolation. And it started with feeling, making me feel guilty for wanting to spend time with friends and family and being told, you know, it's better to stay with me. You don't need to see them. Why don't we do this, right? We, we can have more fun. Or why would you leave me alone? That at the time didn't feel like a red flag. It felt like I was loved and I wanted, you know, this person wanted to be around me. But that was something I think is a really challenging red flag to notice because now in retrospect, I realized it was isolation happening. But at the time, it was disguised as somebody just wanting to spend all their time with me. And Stephanie, how did it progress or digress in your case? For me, the control became greater over time. And it got to the point where if I were to go out, I was escorted everywhere. Hmm. Um, And I was always told, if you're not doing anything wrong, well, then why can't I be there? And that always stuck with me because at the time it felt, you know, I was my late teens, early 20s. At the time, that almost felt logical of, well, yeah, I suppose you're right. I'm not doing anything wrong. And now I want the opportunity to prove to you I'm not doing anything wrong. So why not come along with me? And it progressed from, you know, control and following me to accusations of cheating. That would become big arguments and then eventually turned into physical abuse. But it took some time for it to become physical because there was a very big buildup to a point then I was so isolated and felt very much alone that I didn't feel like even when I was being hit, it was Mm. I had the choice to leave Mm. because I didn't really have anyone at that point. And how did you extricate yourself from this situation? 
Well, if I'm being completely honest, my story is very similar to that of other women's where it took a very big abusive incident for me to really recognize this is not something that's okay anymore. Um, and, and I hate that it took that. And I think that's where a lot of this shame creeps in for women because I wish I had seen it earlier. I wish that I'd set the bar higher for myself. But that's where now as a therapist, I see all the layers and the complications in recognizing abuse for what it is. So again, for me, it was a big abusive incident where I finally said, I cannot live like this. And I reached out to friends and family and said, you've got to help me get out of this. And of course, they did that for me. Stephanie, it is now an epidemic, intimate partner abuse, 30 regions plus in Ontario, and that includes right here in York region from where we are broadcasting. That's just shocking. Why is it such a silent issue? It it just seems that it doesn't make it to the forefront as often as it should, and it's usually when there's just an absolutely terrible incident that puts it into the headlines, and then it disappears again. For myself and the other professionals that I know that work in this area, none of us are surprised that it is has reached epidemic proportions. Uh, we've seen it time and time again. I think it's a really great thing that it's being declared as such, because again, to start those conversations that can lead to that preventative piece. Um, we know in the news, obviously, there's always sensational stories. The biggest stories make the news, and certainly some of the things that have happened in families around intimate partner violence should be on the news, and we should be tuning attention to it. But I think that the day-to-day pieces that happen at homes, I think we still have a mentality of, it's none of my business. I want to stay out of it. I don't want to tell you what to do. If you need help, you should reach out. And we're uncomfortable with it. I don't know what to do, so I'll just, I'll just ignore it. I'll just turn away because I think it is a very big, complicated topic that not everybody understands the intricacies or how to help. What do you say to people listening right now, women listening right now who are in, they're caught in an abusive relationship? What do you say to them right now? If you are listening and you're thinking this sounds like me or this sounds like an experience that I'm having, I want you to trust your instincts. I want you to believe in yourself and believe that you know what's right and wrong at the end of the day in your relationship and that it's never too late to reach out and get help. And to recognize it is not easy by any means, but I have never met a woman who has left an abusive relationship and regretted leaving. So reach out for support, talk to somebody, and trust your instincts that if it feels like there is abuse at play, there probably is. And how do you explain this to your children and how do you protect them? Talking to your children, I think, is critical. I mean, both if you're in an abusive relationship, but also in that preventative piece. So children need to learn and understand what is a healthy relationship and what isn't. If a relationship has to end and there's children involved, it's really important to be mindful of their protection and making sure that they're safe throughout the process and to consider what they've been exposed to and what help they may need. Um, For myself as a mother, you know, although my children aren't exposed to abuse, I'm, I'm thankful to be in a very healthy marriage now. But making sure that they're growing up seeing a healthy marriage and understanding where their bar needs to be set for respectful relationships. Um, And I think, you know, kids that have witnessed abuse, if they can understand that it was wrong and, you know, take that into adulthood and understanding what is acceptable and not can do a lot of good for them in making their own decision. I grabbed something from your website. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Stephanie Peachy, thank you so much for joining us on the feed. Thank you for having me. 
if you are caught in an abusive intimate partner relationship, there is help here in York Region. Please reach out to yellowbrookhouse.org or call them at 905-709-0900. You are not alone. Diabetes patients in York Region now have access to a service that brings specialized health care right to their front door. Glenn Perkins with the story. Diabetes, if not treated, can be a life-altering illness. For some people, it can lead to blindness and cause other health complications. Bridget Barreto, Director of Diabetes Clinics Research and Infection Prevention and Control at South Lake Regional Health Centre, is with us today on the feed. Bridget, welcome. Happy to be here. I'd like you to describe to me the mobile diabetes foot care bus. This uh, wonderful bus has seen tremendous success Uh, after the clinic saw about 500 patients within the first six months. The bus is really designed to offer treatment to those individuals that are living with diabetes and are registered through one of our partner diabetes education clinics. And uh, they focus on providing foot care to those who have financial difficulties. They may not have any extended health benefits, difficulty with mobility issues, and some other issues as well. What does the bus look like? Is it just like going in to see my doctor? Exactly. The bus has uh, some specialized nurses that will deliver high-quality foot care through the one-on-one examinations with each of our patients. Uh, They provide foot care education. And, uh, you know, the bus is a fairly large size and has everything that you would need um, to provide these services. When was it introduced and how much did it cost? The investment from our government, from the Ontario government, was a little over $380,000. The services began in the earlier quarter of, I would say, May 2023. And uh, like I said previously, has seen well over 500 visits in the first six months that it was um, from its start date. So it's certainly been a worthwhile investment, but why is it necessary to take the clinical care that these specialized nurses deliver to the patients? Are the patients unable to attend their local hospital? So all of these patients are registered through uh, one of the diabetes education clinics. These patients do require timely preventative foot care, and many of these patients do not have the ability to go into uh, a clinic on their own um, that is quite a distance away from their home because they may not have transportation or they have um, a lot of difficulty with mobility. So this bus um, goes to locations where fairly close to where they live and they're able to just get on the bus and uh, someone will help them uh, into the bus if they have difficulties with the mobility issues and then they're able to receive their care. Bridget, why is it essential people living with diabetes take good care of their feet? Well, as you know, diabetes is a disease that afflicts those for a lifelong period, can cause damage to their nerves and their blood vessels over time. And uh, that can lead to, you know, loss of uh, feeling in your feet and decrease the blood flow. And if it is left untreated, it can result in serious complications that will include ulcers, of the lower limbs and potentially lower limb amputation. I would imagine it's also easy for someone with this disease just to ignore the symptoms. They may not realize, you know, how quickly uh, their symptoms are escalating. So if you do have uh, this service, like the bus, the specialized nurses will be able to identify 
um, what's going on with the patients and support them in getting the proper care to prevent uh, any further damage or any damage at all. Bridget, the partnerships that have been created have helped in making the mobile diabetes foot care bus a success. You know, uh, this bus has been providing care since uh, May of 2023 to uh, patients who are registered with the diabetes education clinics in a variety of our collaborative partnerships. So uh, with our hospital and there's other hospitals involved and we would not be able to provide this service to our community without the support of the government. Um, And we hope that we can continue this program and continue the success with uh, the work that all uh, the teams are doing. So it's really quite spectacular and we're very proud. Would you like to see more buses? Absolutely. Let's bring on the buses. Bridget Barreto, Director of Diabetes Clinics Research and Infection Prevention and Control at South Lake Regional Health Centre. Thank you for speaking with me today. Thank you so much. A new centre in Thornhill is helping to support the needs of children and their families living with autism spectrum disorder. Tina Cortez has more. Melissa Ball is Clinical Director at Canark Autism Services. Melissa, thank you for joining the feed. Thank you so much for having me today. Can you tell us a little bit about Canark Autism Services, your role, and the new Thornhill location? Sure, I'd be happy to. So, Canark's Autism Program has been serving children and youth with autism for over 20 years. And my role as Clinical Director and Board Certified Behavior Analyst includes overseeing all of the programs and services that we offer to the autism community. Historically, the autism, Ontario Autism Program, known as the OAP, was set up in the province with regional divisions, and we supported the Central East region, which included Durham, Simcoe, Peterborough, and York regions. With a recent shift in the OAP, Kinnerk is no longer regional, regionally specific, and we kind of thought that this was a great opportunity to expand our services within and outside of our current regions. So we've opened two new sites. One is at 1600 Steeles Avenue West in Thornhill, which is in the Steeles and Dufferin area, and another new site in Etobicoke at 5399 Eglinton Avenue West, which is at Eglinton and Renforth. So these sites deliver applied behavior analytic services, and we estimate that upwards of 7,000 new children seek autism treatment and support each year in Ontario, and we've expanded to really help meet that demand. So can I ask you, how will this new location, the one specifically here in York Region, support children and families living with ASD, Autism Spectrum Disorder? Sure. So there are an estimated 13,000 children with autism in the greater Thornhill and Etobicoke area. And Kinnerk's expanded footprint in these regions is really a step toward helping alleviate that growing demand for services. The centers will support families by offering applied behavior analysis, so ABA services, which which can be done individually or in groups. Our clinicians will work with families to identify goals and develop treatment plans covering their child's needs. Um, And some common areas we focus on are something like communication, so like teaching someone to understand what is being said to them, or teaching communication either by speaking or using other ways of communication like using pictures or sign language. We also focus on things like self-help skills, so like toilet training, potentially using utensils, or doing things more independently, like making a snack or tying your shoes. We teach play and social skills, and we also focus on reducing challenging behaviors like aggression or self-injury. 
Uh, we also focus on school readiness skills, like lining up, going to get your snack, listening to your teacher's instructions, and how to join and play at recess time. Um, and this really has a big impact on the children and youth and families that we serve. Children and youth with autism have varying needs, and we work with families to identify what those needs are and how best to teach them. Some of our group-based programs work on social skills, emotional regulation, making friends, dating, and how to prepare for a job interview. We really offer a wide range of services that covers uh, many different needs. It certainly does cover a wide range of areas and services. Do you know how many people have been helped through your centers? Sure. So um, I can't speak to this historically since we've been around for over 20 years, mm-hmm. but currently we have over 150 individuals at our centers in various different types of programming, either the one-on-one treatment or things like social skills group. We offer coaching services. With the expansion of our new site, the one being in Thornhill, we really aim to increase that number to well over 200. That's amazing. And I think you may have touched on this, but if you can just reiterate, how many locations does Canark have in Ontario and specifically here in York Region? Sure, yeah. So Canark has six locations. We're in Oshawa, Barrie, Oak Ridges, Markham, and then our two new sites are in Etobicoke and Thornhill. So in York Region, we do have three sites. Our flagship center is in Markham, and it includes a Snoozeland multi-sensory room. We have occupational therapists there along with um, an OT gym. And we also offer psychological service services for assessments like autism diagnosis or a psychoeducational assessment. The one other thing, too, is uh, we have these six centers, but we're also really excited to also be offering virtual services. So those, for those families who struggle to kind of access our, service, our, our centers or who might live farther away or any of those underserved areas, a lot of our programs we are able to offer virtually as well. Um, and this really helps us to expand our services just to more families across the province that are in need. Certainly does. Yeah. Are there financial costs for the programs and services? Yes, so we do offer many programs at no cost, so I can go over those with you and then I can speak about some of the programs we have that are at a cost. Sure. So our foundational family services can help support a family by making something like a resource kit, and these can include items that can help with everyday activities like a social story or a visual schedule, Um, just something extra that might help a, a child with autism. We offer brief consultation sessions where a clinician will provide a family with some tips that can help their child with a specific goal. And we also offer socials as a way for children to kind of connect with a fun activity, something like Lego or baking. And these services are available up to the age of 18. Some of our other funded programs we offer for children up to kindergarten age is our Caregiver Mediated Early Years program. And this program coaches parents on techniques to guide, guide them on how to teach communication to their children through play. Our Entry to School program allows for children who have not yet entered school to come into a classroom environment and learn those school readiness skills to better prepare them for kindergarten and grade one. We also have an Urgent Response Service program, and that's for individuals up to the age of 18 that have a new or recently emerging challenging behavior like aggression, self-injury, or suicidal ideation, and they'll receive ABA support alongside other professional support for a 12-week period to really try and stabilize those behaviors. And finally, another funded program we offer is our Connections for Students program that helps with transitions into school, and this might be something like entering school for the first time or making that move over to high school. And those programs are all fully funded and at no cost to families. 
Our fee-based programs include the ABA center-based or home-based treatment, some of our skill building groups, ABA virtual services, the ABA coaching, our psychological assessments, and our occupational therapy. So certainly a wide range of services there. And, and just to, to be clear, are Canucks Autism Services for children and adults? Yes. Yeah, so historically, we delivered services to children and youth. However, with the changes to the OAP, and uh, in addition to all that we offer for children and youth, we've really begun to look into expanding into adult services as well. So one of the recently added services are, is our group-based programming, and some of this, the skills that we're offering for adults might include something like dating, making friends, resume writing, or job training skills. So we're just kind of in the beginning stages of that, but we always kind of say, if you don't see something you want, reach out to us and let us know, and we're going to look into seeing if we can make it happen, if we have the resources. We're really happy to kind of work with our community to really figure out what those needs are that they're looking for and be able to offer those services. That's perfect. And if our listeners do want more information, how can they contact you? Yeah, the best way to find out more about us is on our website, which is kinarchautismservices.ca. And Kinark is K-I-N-A-R-K. Um, all of the programs and services that I mentioned today are on our website. And you can also find links to contact us, uh, us if you're looking for more information. And again, I also encourage people to reach out if you don't see something listed on our website that maybe I mentioned today or something that you're interested in but you don't see it. We're always looking for that community feedback on what else we can do to help support. So please, please reach out to us. We've developed many service offerings based on feedback, so we would love to hear from you. Um, and also, if you're interested in coming to see one of our new sites, our new Thornhill site or our flagship Markham location, please contact us and, and we can set something up for a visit as well. That's amazing. Thanks, Melissa, for your time today, and thank you for the work that you do. Thank you so much for having me. When we come back, the music of Canadian legends Sylvia Tyson and Andy Kim. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to the feed. I'm Ann Romer, Andy Kim, and a Christmas concert. Shaliza Bacchus with the musical tradition. I think it's safe to say cue the jingle bells because we are getting into the holiday spirit with Andy Kim. The Canadian Music Hall of Fame inductee will be celebrating the magic of the season with his 19th annual Andy Kim Christmas and the legend himself joins me now. Welcome to the feed. Good to speak to you today and I know that um, our shows are coming up. Yes, and it's super exciting. You've got a lot of famous friends who you've collaborated with over the last 19 years. So what does it feel like? How has the journey been so far? Well, my journey as a kid and as an adult has been magic. I've had the best time ever. And so here I am doing uh, number 19 and really excited about calling artists and seeing if they're available to join us on the 6th. And it's going to be so much fun. As you mentioned, December the 6th, you're also supporting CAMH. I am. Been with CAMH for quite a while. They have they have this wonderful facility in helping people. And and one of the main ingredients of, of that is, um, is an environment called Gifts of Light. And Gifts of Light gives patients that come in without any clothing. Some of them come in at 3 o'clock in the morning with just a sheets around themselves and it gives them an opportunity to 
go to this room where you can get jeans, brand new jeans, brand new sneakers, new sweaters, everything, even a pair of socks. And and for those who are unfortunately at CAMH, I think it gives everybody a feeling of, of good health at one point when you buy something. I know I do. I buy a I buy a jacket or a sweater, I don't know about you, but I come home and I say, wow, this really looks good. It just kind of helps you feel a little better battling what you have and uh, being a patient at CAMH is, is not an easy life. Definitely. And I feel like we could all use that type of positivity, some type of positivity around this time of year. So what can showgoers expect? Well, I have I have a, an array of artists that show up every year from the likes of the Bare Naked Ladies to Metric to Broken Social Scene and people like Tom Cochran come and donate their time. You know, I, I've had Nelly Furtado. I've, I've had incredible artists through the years that come and they sing a couple of songs. And the whole evening is part of our donation to CAMH. And I think that's the important part. That is absolutely amazing. And you just named off some pretty big names. And I think this is just a reminder of how many talented musicians come from right here in Canada. It's the biggest pool that I can remember. I mean, it's just an incredible time in Canadian music to have all these artists as international artists. They're not just, you know, here in Toronto or here in Canada or or from Winnipeg, or they're international artists. And, and I, I'm so grateful that they've always helped make this evening a very special one. That is amazing. And we are so excited for that. So that's happening on December 6th at Massey Hall. Tickets are on sale now. And I do also want to talk to you about a tribute to a huge Canadian artist as well, Gordon Lightfoot, which you're taking part in. You know, I, I don't know if we, we are up to a tribute to Gordon Lightfoot because he's was one of a kind, will always be one of a kind. But I'm excited about the moment and so is Dan Hill. And what is that tribute going to look like? As you said, those are shoes that nobody can probably ever fill, but it is still nice to remember him through his music. Well, you know what? I, I really don't know what I'm in for. I'm excited and I'm a little nervous about singing a Gordon Lightfoot song. I mean, it ain't going to be as good as him. We're not going to be as talented as he was. Uh, we're not going to um, be as iconic as he was. I just think that his legacy will continue to live on. And people like uh, Dan and myself and the band and other people through, uh, through the next years will uh, try and do something to match up to uh, Gordon's legacy. They won't get there, but they'll try. I mean, A for effort. You you do what you can to try. And like you said, those are shoes that will never be filled. But, you know, we are going to remember. And what type of elements are you going to incorporate into the Christmas show? Are you going to be paying homage to any other artists? I'm in the midst of everything right now because I do it myself. I've always done it myself. So I don't pretend to be the best at it. I just know that at the end, we sell out and we make an evening filled with music and filled with an opportunity to have a better day and maybe learn something that gives us a better life. Because I think that we're all expecting things prematurely in life. 
you know, we look at ourselves in the mirror and we want to change what we see, but it's too early to change what you will be. God gave you a certain amount of heartbeats. You may as well find out who you are in those heartbeats and know that those heartbeats are limited. So you have to ask yourself, so what am I doing with my one and only life? If you say it enough times, you'll center on something that's important. And so I think what, what we try to do every year is to understand that we have a community of artists who donate their time for the help of people they don't even know. And it's always great to have a friend. And I think music will always be our medicine. I love that. That is the most perfect way to describe that. Once again, the 19th annual Andy Kim Christmas concert happening at Massey Hall on December the 6th. You can head to Ticketmaster for tickets. It's definitely going to be an unforgettable evening. And as Andy himself said, he plans it all himself. He's integrated to it all and it sells out every year. So get your tickets now while you can. Andy Kim, thank you so much for joining me and we wish you all the best for this holiday season. Oh, thank you for taking that time. I sure appreciate it. Next, the music of Canadian folk legend Sylvia Tyson, Christina Lavecchia with the singer-songwriter's final album. It come home on a long chain of love We'll reach across the ocean on a long chain of love Sylvia Tyson's pioneering career began in the 1960s in Toronto. Since then, Sylvia has become a member of the Order of Canada, and inducted into the Canadian Country Music Hall of Fame and the Songwriters Hall of Fame. On November 3rd, she released her 11th solo album at the end of the day. To talk about the new album, Sylvia joins me. Hi Sylvia, thank you for joining me on the feed. Thank you, Christina. At the end of the day, is said to be your last album after a decades-long successful career. Before being known as the Queen of Folk, at just 18 years old, you left your hometown of Chathman, Ontario for, at the time, Toronto's flourishing folk scene. Can you tell us about that time in your life and how 18-year-old Sylvia felt moving to the city? Well, I'd pretty much decided I, I wanted to move to Toronto and, and become a folk singer. Uh, my parents actually were, were amazingly enlightened for the day. They said, well, if it doesn't work out, you can always come home and get married. Yeah. So <laughs> I thought that was large of them. <laughs> and uh, I had made some contacts in Toronto and uh, had gotten in touch with Ian through his boss, where he was working as a commercial artist. And we connected and, and started exchanging songs, and it just kind of grew from there. With Ian Tyson, you formed the folk singing duo Ian and Sylvia, and you became leaders in the singer-songwriter movement with hits like Smiling Wine and the renowned track You Were On My Mind. Got up this morning, you were on my Smiling Wine and especially You Were On My Mind have been covered by artists over the past 50 years. As a songwriter, how is it hearing the various versions and interpretations of those songs? Well, I'm always glad when someone wants to cover one of my songs. I don't write for other people. I mainly write for myself to perform, but it's always gratifying when someone else wants to do them. There was initially... Uh, 
uh, you know, some concern that in the We Five, when they did You Were On My Mind, it changed the lyrics. But you have to remember this was the early 60s, and you didn't use words like drunk and sick on radio. So mm-hmm. I didn't uh, appreciate the change, but I understood totally why they had done it, and I didn't make any protest. You embarked on a solo career with your 1975 album, Woman's World. Slid through endless afternoons When everything was new Woman's world Cooking and babies Little girls with knowing eyes Woman's world Drawn in a circle Smaller than truth and bigger than love. The first recording entirely on your own, all original songs. How was that experience? Well, I've been looking forward to doing it. And uh, Ian was very helpful in that and the production end of it as well. Although we, we were still, you know, doing the odd performance together. We had mainly uh, developed separate careers at that point. Um, it, it was exciting to, to do all of my own material because up to that point, uh, we'd done mainly traditional material, which I love, but I really felt it was time to move on. And with the success of You Were On My Mind, I sort of had an idea that I could be a songwriter. And uh, so that was my, my chance to do it. Fast forward to 2023, at the end of the day, um, which is your last album to be released, Why Is Now The Right Time? Well, I had been with Quartet, of course, for 26 years, which is a pretty good record, I think, in the music business. But we decided to call it quits uh, back uh, last November. And uh, so I started looking at my own solo stuff and realized that I had a dozen really good songs, which I personally had never recorded, although a couple or three of them had been recorded by Quartet. And uh, so I just got busy and started rehearsing it and realized that I actually had enough for an album and got in touch with Danny Greenspoon, who produced it. And uh, so together we uh, we worked on it. And, and Danny did an amazing job, actually, because the songs are quite diverse. But he pulled together a musical ensemble, which kind of held it all together. Wonderful players. Do you have a favorite? Well, I think with any uh, any songwriter, the one they've just written is their favorite. <laughs> but considering the fact that these songs were written over a period of about 15 years, I, mm-hmm. I'd be hard-pressed. I, I really am very fond of all of them, although I do find that at the end of the day, which is the title song, kind of wraps everything up for me. And it's interesting in the, 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 the little bit that I've been... Uh, with an audience to listen to uh, to the song with them, mm-hmm. it, it's been very affecting. Uh, it made some people cry, which really affected me very strongly. At the end of the day When the shadows grow longer The now is pushed aside And the past grows stronger when I think of the good times, all the hard times fall away. It's the good times I remember at the end of the day. At the end of the day is now available. 
It's available on Spotify and Apple Music. Are there other ways listeners can get their copy? Well, they can get it on online from uh, Stony Plain Records. That's probably the best way. They can either download it or order a CD. Sylvia, it was a pleasure and honor to speak with you. Thank you for joining me on the feed. Thank you very much. Nice talking to you. If you missed any part of the feed, please go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you so much for listening.